maybe you're a little bit like me, but I, I, tend to be, I tend to be a little bit stingy with the things that I treasure. The things that are really important to me, the things that I really care about, I tend to, to hold on to those. I don't really want to share those things with anybody else. And a good example of this uh, would be the, the little object lesson I brought with me today. Uh, these are tagalongs. These are the best Girl Scout cookies of all time. I will brook no arguments, okay? Tagalongs, that's, that's where it's at. And so, uh, you know, tagalongs, when, when I get these, these tagalongs, when we get these Girl Scout cookies at the house, um, I love these so much, I don't want to share them with anybody. Can you relate to that? Uh, there are times when, you know, I hate opening up the, the box of tagalongs because I know it's only a matter of time before they're gone. Uh, in fact, I, you could argue that I like having the tagalongs just as much as I enjoy eating the tagalongs. And so this will happen from time to time. I'll, uh, I'll have a box of, of tagalongs there in the, in the pantry, and I'll walk in to, to get, you know, a few of those. And mind you, we have a pantry full of other stuff that I don't really care for, like Thin Mints, I don't care for those, Twizzlers, that kind of stuff, that's not, that's not my thing. So we have a pantry full of, of other snacks, and I'll walk in sometimes, and I'll, I'll open up the Thin Mints, and I'll find that somebody has been eating my Tagalongs. And that's just a bad look for everybody, because then I have to start interrogating family members, you know, did you eat my tagalongs? <laughs> um, the only really, the only cure I can think of for that, the one way to safeguard against that, is to just open the box and eat them all in one sitting. So that's kind of what I tell myself sometimes. I tend to be a little stingy with the things that I really, really treasure, and and maybe you can relate to that. But what's funny is that uh, despite those tendencies that that we we have to to hoard and to, to be sort of stingy with what we treasure. In God's word, we find another truth. We find a, a, a different sort of reality. We find this word from God that counters that. In God's word, we find out what really matters the most. God tells us what we ought to treasure above all else. And then he tells us, rather than being stingy with what matters most, instead, we should be good stewards. We should share that with others. Or to, to put it differently in the language we'll use just for a few minutes here today, God calls us to live generously. Think about that for just a minute, the idea of living generously. Uh, why in the world would we want to share something that we consider to be valuable? That goes against the grain of the way we're wired to think, doesn't it? You know, I don't, I don't want to share that which I consider to be valuable because because there's not very many of those things. I, the, the very nature of how we value something is based on kind of a, a scarcity mindset. We think there's a very limited, a very finite amount of treasure. Therefore, I don't want to share it. You know, Mickey Mantle baseball cards are valuable because there's not, a many, there's not very many of those, those rookie cards. Uh, Tagalongs. <laughs> I don't want to share those because there's a limited number in each box. Fifteen, to be precise. And I always know exactly how many I have left, you know. But when we come along to, into the Gospels and we hear Jesus, 
we hear him talking about what matters most, and we hear him say the kingdom of God is, is like a pearl of great price, and, and, and we value that more than anything else. And the, the gospel message, the good news about this kingdom breaking into history, he says that's real treasure. And Jesus says that that kingdom is available in a limitless supply. And what's really fascinating about listening to Jesus is that he takes that scarcity mindset that many of us live with and, and function within. And, and in the biblical story, that scarcity mindset is, is turned on its, on its ear. Instead, we find this, this abundance, this narrative of great abundance that Jesus proclaims. That he has come to give us real, everlasting, abundant life. That we might have life in the full. So when we treasure the things that Jesus calls us to treasure, when we treasure the kingdom of God, you know what? We'll want to share that with as many people as possible. That's really at the heart of the passage of scripture that I'd want, I want us to focus on this morning, just for a few moments. It's from the book of 2 Corinthians. If you have a Bible and you want to grab one and, and, and turn there to 2 Corinthians, we'll read from chapter 4 in 2 Corinthians here in just a moment. Paul is the author of this, this letter, and as a missionary, Paul, he's our friend, we're, we're familiar with uh, some of the, the writings of, of Paul, uh, as a missionary, he is, he is greatly concerned with sharing the good news of Jesus with as many people as he possibly can, and that's really what you find at work in the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, and we'll look at that here together now this morning. 2 Corinthians 4, we will read together and look together at verses 1 through 12. This is God's word. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul has, uh, Paul has some critics here uh, in Corinth. Uh, background information, Paul has these, these opponents in Corinth, and 
And they accuse him of being, among other things, weak. Uh, They accuse him of being deceptive. They accuse him of of, of being a a self-promoter and and honestly a a little bit shady. They question his style, they question his tactics, but uh, worst of all, they question his motives. And they say that his ministry looks really undignified. And because of that, they say, well, how could God be in that? There's not much glory in what we see going on there. And so in his correspondence with them, Paul, uh, it's, it's not that he gets defensive. Uh, he does defend his authority as an apostle. But more importantly than that, he wants to to present to the Corinthians a really clear picture of what matters most, and that is Jesus and his cross. He says in his earlier uh, correspondence with them in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, Paul is most concerned with proclaiming this really clear word about Jesus. His ministry is shaped after the pattern of the cross. And what Paul is doing in in much of of what he writes to the Corinthians is he's trying to set up the cross as this normative experience. He's saying that the cross isn't just central to his ministry and to his preaching, but he's saying for, for all Christians, for all who would follow after Jesus, the cross has become the pattern after which our entire lives should be focused. And so he has this, this interest in preaching this really clear word about Jesus and about the cross. So he talks to the Corinthians then about ministry. And that's a big word for Paul, ministry. But when Paul uses the word ministry, he's not talking about the role of someone in the church, a, a paid professional in, in the sense that we think of ministers today. No, no, that's, that's not the way Paul uses the term. When Paul uses the term minister, he has in mind everyone. He sees ministry as something that every follower of Jesus participates in. Now again, he'll, he'll be really specific about his ministry as an apostle and how that differs from other types of ministry. But Paul is going to, to also, in just the, the next few verses after this passage that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He'll talk a great deal about the ministry that we all share in as followers of Christ, this ministry of reconciliation. If we have been reconciled to Christ, if we've been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, then now we participate in this great ministry of calling others to likewise be reconciled to Christ. That's exactly where the flow of this argument goes in the letter that he writes to the Corinthians here. Uh, As you see there, uh, it's the the passage just before this in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 Paul says that there's this veil that is lifted anytime someone comes to know the Lord a veil is lifted and then he says and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord he says who is the spirit according to To Paul, if you follow his train of thought here, to turn to the Lord is to witness his glory. And this becomes transformative for us. For when we witness his glory, we can't help but then reflect that glory to other people. That's the ministry that Paul refers to here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Centuries earlier, Moses at Mount Sinai, went up on the mountain, and he spent time with God, 
And God gave him the Torah, God gave him the commands, he gave him uh, the, the law, known as the law of Moses later on. And the Bible says in, in Exodus 34 that when Moses came down from the mountain, his face was so bright because of the time he had spent with the Lord, because he had caught just, just a glimpse of the glory of God, that from that moment forward, Moses, he had to wear a veil to cover his face when he was interacting with, with people down at, at the bottom of the mountain. When he came down and spent time with, with his fellow Israelites, he had to wear a veil over his face because, because he, had, he had seen the glory of God and that was such an awesome thing to behold. And how could you not, you know, just reflect that glory to others is, is the idea. And there are some Jewish traditions, some rabbinic traditions that hold that Moses not only had to do that for a certain period of time, but from that moment through the rest of his life, they say, Moses had to wear a veil. Because once you have witnessed the glory of God, you can't unwitness it. You can't help but reflect that goodness and that glory out to others. And so when Paul writes to the Corinthians, this is an example of what we talked about last week with that type and anti-type. Remember we discussed that last week? So he does the same thing. He takes this Old Testament event and he brings it into the pages of the, of the New Testament, the New Covenant there, and he uses it as a teaching. So he's drawing very heavily on that same idea. So just like Moses witnessed the glory of God on Mount Sinai, Paul's point is that we, who have come to know Jesus Christ as, as Lord, we too have witnessed the glory of God. But here's the difference. Unlike Moses, who had to wear a veil to cover up that glory, he had to wear a veil so, so people could actually look at him. Instead, for us, Paul says, the veil is lifted. Now our charge is to go and to share that glory, to reflect that goodness and that glory out into the world as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples following after the glory of the Lord we've seen in Jesus. That's what Paul says in this passage that we just read. You can look again there at, at verse 6, okay? For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But then Paul pivots and notes the, the unexpected strategy of God to put this great treasure in jars of clay. Uh, he, he's given us this ministry, he says, this ministry of, of proclaiming the gospel, what Paul again will call the ministry of reconciliation in the next chapter. But, but, but his point is that, that God has entrusted the good news of the gospel to people just like you and me. That he's taken the, the eternal message of the gospel and he has now entrusted it. He has put it in, in jars of clay. Jars that can easily crack. Jars that in and of themselves are not eternal. Those are the containers that God chooses to put the most valuable treasure of all. The good news of the gospel. That means that we have a job to be good stewards of this great treasure. Uh, stewardship is a, is a really biblical, it's de a deeply biblical concept. And, and here's what, what stewardship really means. Stewardship combines these two ideas of God's ownership with human partnership. And if you just want a, 
a working definition of stewardship. I think that's a pretty good one. We're talking about God who is, is overall, God's ownership of something. But then he takes that which he treasures and he entrusts humanity and he asks us to partner with him in managing that resource or that gift. And so this kind of thing is all over the scriptures. Uh, stewardship. Stewardship is Mary with the Son of God growing in her womb. That's stewardship, okay? Stewardship would be Joseph raising a child that is not his own. That's stewardship. Stewardship is Moses leading the children of Israel out in the wilderness for 40 years. And they are a stiff-necked, complaining bunch of people. <laughs> but he still stewards that because they're God's people. Stewardship is Timothy being told to fan into flame the gift that God has given him. And stewardship goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's Adam being given the authority to name the animals and tend the garden. In each of those instances, stewardship involves God entrusting something to humanity and asking us to partner with him in its proper management. So, back to our teaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This helps us understand the stewardship ministry that Paul calls us to. He says that as jars of clay, God has entrusted us to be good stewards of the good news. And we are to be stewards of the good news for this particular generation. That's what God has entrusted in these jars of clay. And that's the stewardship that God has called us to. But in order to be faithful to that call, we can't be stingy with the treasure. We can't just hang on to it, you know, we can't just white-knuckle it and, and keep it to ourselves, which is the way we're tempted to, to deal with many of the treasures that we're given. The pattern of the cross that Paul is always trying to keep in front of those Corinthians and us as well the pattern of the cross calls us to steward through sharing. The pattern of the cross calls us to live generously. In just a few moments, we'll wrap up our time of worship, and then uh, Dane Richardson, one of our elders, he'll come and present to us, on behalf of the elders, our, uh, our budget for the coming year. And I hope that as you, as you listen to, to this, and as you, you hear the things that Dane has to say, and and see some of the figures that will be on the screen. I hope that in all of this, um, you'll hear some important details. I hope that you'll hear uh, some details about the ongoing work here and how we're trying to pursue that, that mission that we have to follow Jesus by loving God and loving others. You'll hear about how we're, we're seeking to make disciples both here locally and, and around the world. And that's in keeping with that vision and that mission. And, and specifically, We'll be hearing about how our budget will be deployed in the pursuit of that mission. But in addition to all of that, I, I hope you also hear a really a, a strong call to action as well. I hope that you hear that we need you. I hope that you hear that, that we need you to, to live generously. Uh, we need your time. I hope you'll hear that. 
Because in order for us to be good stewards of what God has given us, in order for us to, to follow Jesus and pursue this mission that he's given to us, we're going to need your time. Now, some of you are in a season of life where you have a lot of time. You have more time to give and devote to ministry than ever before. Some of you are in the opposite situation. You, your time is like your most precious commodity. You may not even have you know, an hour, hardly, to give and to devote to, to something else. But wherever you fall on that spectrum, I hope that you'll hear that, that we need whatever you can give as we pursue this mission, as we pursue this vision, trying to, to call others into this life of, of discipleship. I hope you hear that. I hope you hear in this also a call to, to be a good steward of, of your energy and, and your passion. We need that. We need your ideas. We need you to look around your community and see what the needs are. And to begin to think and pray strategically about how we can meet those needs in the name of Jesus Christ. I hope you hear us say that we need that. We need that vision and that, that passion and that energy and those ideas. And I hope you hear us say that we, we want to partner with you. How can we resource you to go out with this ministry of reconciliation in mind? How can we resource you to go and to share Jesus with the people around you? Uh, I hope that you hear, yes, we also need your financial resources. That's a part of stewardship, okay? And some of you are in a season, you're in a place where you can give more than ever before, and some of you are in, this, in a place where your financial generosity is, is, is pretty limited. We understand that. But whether that gift is great or small, whether the amount of time you have is, is tremendous or not very much, I hope you hear, in all of this, we need you. Because the call is for all of us to be people who are living generously. People who are seeking to steward well the great gifts that God has given. People who are seeking to share what God has given. I want you to hear this verse one more time as we, as we close. For we who live are always being given over to death for the sake of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. You hear in that the pattern of the cross? Would you be willing to, to follow more fully into that pattern? It's tough. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like it a lot better when all it requires of me is just to like check a mental box and say, yes, I believe up here in my head that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, including my own. You know, I, I, I wish that that's where it sort of stayed, but it doesn't because then the call of, of, of the cross is to then have that pattern in my own life, to take up my own cross and to follow Jesus and to steward the gospel well, to really seek people out so that I can share that with. Yeah, I have a tendency, I don't know if you do, I have a tendency to be really stingy with the thing that I treasure. If I'm following the example of Jesus, I begin to understand that that which I treasure most, God intends for me to steward and to share because he wants me to live generously. Today, if there's something on your heart that you'd like to share with this body, we have a space here in, in the next moment where we will sing together and it's a great opportunity to share something like that.
you need the prayers of this church, you want the private prayers of your shepherd, this is an opportunity to, to respond. If you'd rather just kind of keep it sort of private, you'll still see we have these prayer boxes in the back of the room. You can fill something out and drop that in there. We check those every Monday. So just know that's, that's another avenue if, if you need to communicate something with somebody. And of course, for the past several weeks, we've been talking a lot about baptism, and, and we would be overjoyed if the good news really took root in your heart today and you decided you want to put Christ on in, in baptism. That's something worth celebrating. All of those are, uh, are options here as you think about how you might want to respond during this time. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's stand together and let's sing.